You want to belong somewhere, right? It's not a bad thing, by the way. God created us for a relationship. The problem is, most of us go about it in all the wrong ways. That's what results in feelings of insecurity and inadequacy. But good news, you can find your people and your place much easier than you think. I'll show you how. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, created the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join me live. We're here on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. Okay. Far back as I can remember, I always felt like a stranger looking in at my peers from the outside. I never felt like I fit. In school, I was never interested in PE and parties. I'd rather talk politics and religion. And more often than not, I'd rather do it with people twice my age. This didn't change even after I became a Christian. In high school youth group, after every service, most went right into the video games and the pool table in the rec room. Not me, though. I preferred theologizing with youth leaders. In college, a couple friends and I could talk almost nonstop about the things of God. I found that few people could relate to that. Some even mocked it, and that was painful. I'm sure you can relate to feeling like an outsider in some way. Maybe you feel like you don't fit some group because you aren't athletic enough or you feel like you aren't attractive enough or not smart enough or too much of this or too little of that, whatever this or that is. You know, it's natural to crave acceptance. And that's because we were designed by God for relationship. So you don't have to feel bad about wanting to be accepted. In Genesis 2, just after Adam was created, God determined that he needed something more, something that could speak his language and understand his experience. That's why God declared it's not good for the man to be alone. Adam needed another human, and so God created Eve. So because of our design, there's a God-intended sense of satisfaction, stability, and completeness that comes from relationship with other people. Now, I'm not saying that another person makes you complete. I'm not saying that you get your satisfaction or significance from another person. Those things only come from God. In Christ, we are complete. But there is a sense. There's a sense of satisfaction and stability and all of that that comes from from being in relationship with other people. So that's why when we don't get it, it's painful because we feel like we're being denied something that we need. I talk a whole lot more about the science and the psychology and the theology of all of that in my Rejecting Rejection e-course. But this is also why the fear of rejection is one of the most intense and influential fears. It's because we feel we don't get something we need. We fear we won't get something we need. So in desperation, we'll do anything to avoid the pain. Anything to be liked. Anything to fit in. And that's the problem. We confuse fitting in 
with belonging. And in doing so, we lose ourselves and deny God's plan. But fitting in is doing just that. It's fitting. It's shaping. It's molding ourselves in order to fit an environment. But if you think about the creation story and how God designed Adam, that's backward. You see, Adam was first molded and defined by God. It's God who crafted him. It's God who named him and gave him his identity. If God wanted him to fit in with all of his surroundings at the time, God would have made him a tree, a banana, or an animal. He wasn't made to fit in with his surroundings. The creation story says that Adam couldn't get what he needed from just anything. It says that he needed something suited just for him. In other words, he needed to be accepted for who God made him to be. And God made the person who would accept him and brought that person to Adam. Because of all the rejection that I faced in my past, I desperately craved acceptance. I wanted people to understand me and like me desperately. So you know what I did? I tried to change me so that others might see me as valuable. And I did that through performance and accomplishments. And sure, I got some accolades and attaboys for it. And yes, it felt good for a while. Claps and cheers made me think that people liked me, made me feel like I meant something. But that was fleeting. Because deep down, I knew that applause only came from what I do, not from who I am. That was fitting in, not belonging. And it got exhausting because I couldn't keep it up. That's why true belonging doesn't come from anything you do or change. But it comes from embracing who God designed you to be. Like all your quirks and qualities. We'll get into some of that in just a little bit. But then it's about letting him bring the people who complement who he designed you to be. And that might not be many people. It might only be one. Adam just had Eve. But Eve was enough for him. All you need is one or two people. Trust me, you, you don't want a bunch. It's a headache. Today, I have many acquaintances. I talk to a lot of people. I mean, right now, through this live broadcast, I'm talking to hundreds of you and thousands more later. But any amens that I might be getting right now are largely based on what I'm doing. And that's great. It feels good. I appreciate it. Keep it coming. But I no longer confuse that with belonging, because if I do, the moment it goes away or the moment you disagree with something, and some of you are really good with letting me know when you disagree with something, especially those on Facebook. But the moment that happens, then I'll be in a crisis when I don't get what I was basing my acceptance on. So I found satisfaction in having a far smaller group of people who really know me. I really know me. And truly, I can count those people on one hand. To get there, 
I had to find my value from the right place, really from the right person. I had to find it from my creator. That's, that's the only place you can get it. That's the only person you can get it is from creator God. Let me give you an example of how value and accepting your value from your creator, from your owner, makes a difference in success. In 2015, Walt Disney World right here in Orlando, Florida, raised its ticket prices to an average of more than $100 per person. And that was up from about $50 a person in the late 90s. So in 15 years, they doubled their ticket price. Do you know the result? After more than four decades since their opening, they broke attendance records for their Magic Kingdom theme park. They sold more tickets than ever before by doubling their price. Why? Because they set the value for their parks. They upped the value. They believed in themselves more, which made it more desirable to the people who appreciated what they had to offer. Not everybody. Not everybody likes theme parks. Certainly, people that don't like them mocked the price increases, but the right people. You see, they didn't change what they were or lower their price in order to attract the masses, but they raised their prices. They believed more in themselves, like I said, which increased the desire for the right audience. And in doing so, they were more successful. So my point is not that as you believe in yourself, you're going to attract more masses or more people, but that as you believe in yourself, You'll attract the right people, quality people. You'll be more successful. So don't change yourself so that everybody likes you. Don't cheapen yourself so that everybody has access to you. Don't wait for people to tell you what your worth value comes from your creator. It comes from knowing that he wanted you and he designed you for a specific reason. Stay true to that design. Believe in that design and you'll find much more satisfaction and success in belonging with the right people than you ever will fitting in with the wrong ones. Now, I know there are some of you who have a hard time believing that God wanted you, much less designed you for a purpose. Maybe because of circumstances about your life, how you came into this world. I don't know. Maybe you think of yourself as an accident or a mistake. So on that point, I think of a story I often tell, one of my favorite Bible stories when it relates to this kind of thing. Talk about it in most of my books. It's the story of Timothy, the Apostle Paul's protege. He's a great example of how God selects and designs people that people wouldn't otherwise choose. You see, Timothy was born a mistake to the people in his culture. His mother was Jewish, his father was Greek intermingling of race at that time was a huge no-no in Jewish law. So back then, a child from a mixed union like this would have been an outcast from his peers. He couldn't be educated with other Jewish boys, marry a Jewish woman, participate in any of the Jewish festivals. Much less, I'm sure they thought that he couldn't be used by the Jewish God. All because of something he didn't choose, society labeled Timothy wrong and excluded him. They said he's a mistake. I don't know. I imagine growing up, that's what he thought too. 
But society was wrong. The culture was wrong. Even the religious culture was wrong, which is possible, you know. But as I said, the Apostle Paul selected him to be his missionary partner. He was respected by and ministered in at least five New Testament churches. Tradition says he became the bishop of the church at Ephesus. The world might not have wanted him, but God did. And God used him to help advance the church. If you need a verse to prove your worth, there's so many, but Ephesians 1.4 is one of my favorites. Even before God made the world, he loved us and chose us in Christ. Loved and chosen even before you were born. You know, God used that verse in my life one time to say, Kyle, you are no surprise to me. And I believe he's using it now to say the same to you. You are no surprise to God. You didn't emerge from the womb and leave God scrambling to figure out what to do with you. God knew what he was getting before you were ever news to your parents, yet he brought you into existence anyway. He saw your successes. He saw your failures. He saw it all. Yet he loved you and he chose you, decided to see you in Christ as holy and without fault in his eyes. I mean, for those of you who are the product of some oops or accident, think of it this way. God wanted you in this world so badly that he used an unconventional or unexpected way to do it. Despite how you got here, you are here because God wants you here. What could be more significant? What could give you more value than being the product of God's desire? And as incredible as that is, there's actually more value to be recognized from there. And that's found in the reality that God brought you into existence to reflect something of himself. Now, i got to give you a little foundation for this. Going back to the creation story all the way at the beginning of your Bible, back to Genesis, the story says that God spoke the earth, or God spoke to the earth, to bring about every kind of plant and animal. In Genesis 11, then God said, let the earth sprout with vegetation. In verse 24, then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal. So you see, vegetation, animals, the earth produced. But he did something different to bring about people. Look at this. In Genesis 1.26, he doesn't speak to the earth. He speaks to himself. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And to do it, this time he used more than his mouth. But the Bible says that he personally formed Adam and Eve with his own hands. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of this. Get this. Everything seen inside of creation reflects creation. Brought forth from the land by command from God's mouth. No doubt that's powerful. But only people. Only you and I reflect God himself, brought forth by his personal touch. Every person, hear me, every person is handcrafted by God in his image. That's incredibly valuable.
accept that value. But then think about this. What is an image made to do? It's made to reflect. It's made to represent. God created you to be a reflection of who he is. Nothing else in creation can do that. Plants, animals, they can't do that. Remember, they were produced from the ground. Well, you and I can because we were produced from his image. So many of us live in regret of our differences, believing that they are what count us out and keep us from fitting in. So we spend oodles of time, energy, and money working to look like everybody else, to be normal, whatever that is. But I pose this question to you. What if your differences are by design? What if they each reflect a unique aspect of God that he doesn't want covered up, but he wants on display? Maybe that's the real battle in you. Maybe that's what you're mistaking as spiritual warfare. Maybe you're desperately striving to hide what God wants to be seen. And the tension you feel isn't the devil, but it's you trying to make right what isn't wrong, or trying to fix what isn't broken, or trying to perfect what isn't imperfect. Let's talk about a few of those areas that you might need to stop despising and begin maximizing and celebrating and at least embracing as a unique reflection of God. Your body. Uh Uh-oh. I think we all have at least one part of us, right, that we believe is a glaring imperfection physically, probably more than one. I could rattle off at least a dozen things that I wish were different about me physically. Being taller would be one of them. But the things we think are imperfections are only because we've somehow been told they are. Mostly by a media that casts a model of perfection that doesn't really exist except after a bunch of computer touch-ups. But nowhere in Scripture does God say that a physical feature is better than another physical feature. Quite the opposite, actually. The Bible reasons that every physical quality is a reflection of our Creator. David prays that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. Jesus said God even ordained the number of hairs on our head. Some of us more than others. So consider the shape of your eye or nose or teeth, your height, your bone structure, the color of your hair, all come from God's image. I think of skin color, probably the best example of this. Scholars believe that Adam and Eve were created with medium brown skin. You can study the science of this yourself, but in short, medium brown contains all the genetic information for every skin color from the whitest of white to the blackest of black. So every skin color we have today could have come from their medium brown skin, which is what God breathed into them, how God made them as a reflection of his image. Hair color, eye color, shape of your features, they all work similarly. Not one is better than the other. That's why the Bible says that we are all one race. One race with physical differences that come from the God we reflect. Your personality and passions are a reflection of God. You've heard me say how for years, I've written about it in all my books, for years, I hated my introverted personality. I was sure it was given to me by the devil to stand in the way of what God called me to do. 
and I tried to change it through prayer and exercises and even deliverance. Finally, God settled me down and said, I gave you that personality. And I've come to realize and celebrate that I can do things as an introvert that others can't. That aspect of me is actually what makes me successful at some of the things that I do. Sure, I might not be the life of the party or a comedian preacher, but it makes me more introspective and mind for deep insights, which I think comes out in my writing and teaching. And you extroverts, you bring a lot to the table too. Leadership skills, networking, all kinds of stuff. None of us have everything. We all have a part, which is why we're better together. But my point is, all personality types belong. They all have their place. Now, we might not all appreciate all of them. There are certain personality types that I jive with more than others, and you too. That doesn't matter. God put it in us as reflections of his image, and we will naturally be attracted to those that we jive with. Same with your skills and passions. They're a reflection of God's image too. You know, in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam a job to tend and cultivate the garden. He was gifted with the ability to bring beauty to the garden. On the way to the Promised Land, when God wanted his people to construct a place to host his presence, the Bible says that he placed different skills and different people to get the job done. Some were labor skills. Some were art skills. Some were given an eye for design. A few had more than one skill, but most had just one. But they were all different for a reason in order to get the job done. So what are you passionate about? What talents do you have? Have you considered that they might not be coincidental, but God-given? And I'm not just talking about ministry gifts. I'm talking about the teacher. The doctor, the scientist, the artist, the singer, the stay-at-home parent, and even the politician. As long as it's not sinful, of course, God has placed passions in you to help cultivate his world, to bring beauty and sophistication to it. I've heard it said that it's no accident that the Bible begins in a garden but ends in a city. And your passions and skills are a big part of God's plan to get there, to develop his world. So be encouraged. You were created to express and create in a unique way that comes from God himself. As quirky as it might be. Even your situation may be a reflection of God. Now hear me out on this one. I'm not talking about some unfortunate circumstance like a disaster, a disease, or a trauma. Those aren't from the hand of God, though his hand will rework those things into good, but those don't come from the hand of God. God doesn't afflict us. But some of the places or positions that maybe you currently find yourself in that you'd rather not be in, those might be from God for a reason. They might reflect him for a reason. Let's take singleness and marriage, for example. Many single people despise their condition and are desperate to find somebody. And that's natural. 
The pursuit of relationship is wired into us, as I said. But I know far too many married people who, after the newness wears off, crave the freedom of their single friends. Grass is always greener on the other side. I guess it's human nature to want what we don't have. But when it comes to singleness and marriage, I think society and definitely today's church elevates one over the other, celebrates one over the other, kind of at least implies that one is more complete and maybe even wanted more than the other. Yet, both are powerful and necessary expressions of who God is. Follow me in this. Marriage is God's earthly representation of the union between Jesus and his church. Jesus and the bride of Christ. That's his church. Marriage reflects that beautifully. Singleness, on the other hand, may be a reflection of the sufficiency of Christ in his heavenly kingdom where there is no human marriage. You know, Jesus was clear, there is not marriage in heaven. So some of you single people who feel like you're missing out on what all your married friends have, eventually they're going to be in your position for much longer than they ever were married. But neither situation is better, more God-honoring, or more complete than the other. Each reflects an aspect of who God is that both the church and the world desperately need to see today. And I say that about singleness versus marriage because it can really be said of so many of the other things that we think divide us today in Christianity from our traditions to our doctrines to our politics. I don't have time to go into all the examples here, but just thinking about the various versions of Christianity. Is it possible that the fundamentalists and their emphasis on God's word and the charismatics and their emphasis on God's presence and the liturgists and their emphasis on reverence and the gracists and their emphasis on love and compassion, is it possible that they each reflect something that God wants to convey about himself? Too often we treat each other as enemies. We treat our differences as the devil himself. When all of these expressions are found in Christ, don't they all somehow belong? Just food for thought there. But let me add this. The goal of Christianity is not to become a husband, a wife, a parent, a minister, a philanthropist, or a missionary. Beyond consensus about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it's not to conform to a certain way of thinking or political affiliation either. The goal of Christianity is to enjoy relationship with the God who loves you and made you in his image. And his image includes a wide variety of looks, personalities, passions, skills, and situations. Again, as quirky as they might be. You were handpicked and handcrafted to be a beautiful reflection of your Creator. And do you know what you call something like that? You know what God calls something like that? A masterpiece. He calls you, He calls us, a masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 says it, For we are God's masterpiece. 
He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. We all know what a masterpiece is, right? It's somebody's prized piece, their most valuable work. Artists are blessed if they have one. Very few throughout history are fortunate enough to have more than one masterpiece. Beethoven is one of them. So is Vincent van Gogh. So is Michelangelo. These three guys each represent a different kind of art. But they all three share something that's maybe a common feature of their repeated success. Totally deaf, Beethoven composed his symphonies in a void of sound. Born with a brain lesion, Van Gogh suffered mania and depression. He had to find vision in the midst of chaos and emptiness. Michelangelo famously created his sculptures with a single principle. He said, I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. Do you see it? Some of the greatest masterpieces by the greatest artists are created out of something that nobody could recognize at first except for the vision of their creator. And none of those artists compare to God. I mean, all the things that are beautiful around us, think of all the things he spoke into existence from nothing. Talk about vision and darkness. So I say all that to say, I know that your life might not look like much of value to others or even to you. But you need to know that God sees the value in you because he placed it there. That's why he chose to bring you into existence. Sure, today you might be surrounded by obstacles. Your greatest features might be hidden under layers of insecurity, fear, or shame, but in ways you can't even see, even right now, even through this message, God is working to remove those layers. You just have to know there's a masterpiece in you that you don't have to prove. You just have to reveal. And when you do, the right people will recognize it. Please hear me. God chose you and molded you not to fit a mold. That's the thing about a masterpiece. They stand out. There's not one that's the same. They're each made wildly unique to express a unique part of their creator, as are you. You are no mistake. You're not the product of some random chance. You are the outcome of God's choosing. You are the result of his steady hand. Yes, you belong as you are with all your quirks and qualities because with them, not despite them, you reflect something about God that the world needs to see. And as I said, as you start to let the world see that, you will naturally find your people and you'll find your place. Okay. I know that I packed a lot into this message, so I have to tell you how I can help you on this subject from here. As I said in the message, I suffered such consistent rejection in my early years that for a long time, I saw everything through that lens. Everything was rejection. 
I saw rejection in places it didn't exist. And I know some of you listening can relate. Maybe you're suffering pain from past hurt. Maybe you have an intense fear of being rejected in the future. Maybe you're constantly offended in the present because you're filtering everything through rejection from the past. I don't know. But so many people have asked me how I overcame. So I packed what took me 10 years to learn into an eight-lesson e-course I call Rejecting Rejection. Here's more about that, then I'll be right back. Let me ask you, how would your life change if memories of past rejection no longer hurt? What could you do if you weren't afraid of being rejected in the future? Maybe you think it's not possible. I've dealt with this for so long, but I'm here to tell you it is. If you've read any of my books or heard me speak, you know that the pain and fear of rejection ruled my life for so long, but I found real healing and freedom, and you can too. That's why I created my e-course, Rejecting Rejection. In it, I hold your hand to explore the scientific, psychological, and spiritual roots of your fear of rejection. I show you methods to reprogram your brain to be confident and courageous. We go through spiritual insights, reflections, and applications to heal your rejection-related wounds, and there's so much more. So what do you say? Are you ready to be unshackled from the fear of rejection? Then join me now. Visit rejectioncourse.com to get started. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and He's for you and we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. And don't forget wherever you're watching or listening to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. I'll see you next time.